Hi there. My name is Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. The preached texts are included in the audio of this episode, but you can still find a link to them in the episode description. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. Our first reading comes from the 16th chapter of Romans. Now to God, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but is now disclosed, and through the prophetic writings is made known to all the Gentiles, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. The second reading comes to us from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the first chapter. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. As we wrap up Advent here, we've got Paul wrapping up his letter to the Romans. So we can once again this morning ask the question, how does Paul help us get back to basics? Because we've been inundated with complications. We've got complexities this time of the year, every year. But then this year, they're even worse. We've got the circumstances of today on top of our traditions, our texts, the way our culture celebrates Christmas versus the way the church often does. And now as we get to Christmas right around the corner here, even the way we tell the story is complicated because we often reframe it in a way to make it understandable and engaging in our cultural context. And this starts all the way back here with Mary. 
See, when we tell the story, we're often quick to resolve attention in her experience. Is Mary a real tough cookie? Is she the saintly type, the sort tapped by God for such an incredible task because she was the best suited for it in all the world? Or is Mary a meek little girl, helpless and powerless and tossed about by the forces of the world, angels, Joseph, Herod, the emperor, all telling her what to do? You will often hear one or the other. For the sake of the message that year, the theme that the church is using, the preacher may just emphasize Mary's strength or Mary's weakness. But the reality is it's a tension. And this tension comes, apart, comes about in part because of the change in culture and how we have to reframe the story today. So, for example, in Mary's day, a person was considered an adult at 13. Their marriage would have been arranged even before that. Many young women became mothers as teenagers and young men would take on the same sort of job their fathers had at that age. So which is it? Is it like then, a 13-year-old is an adult, or like now, a 13-year-old is a child? Are they utterly dependent on others or independent contributors to society? Well, this tension we find in Mary, we can find it in others, because uh, every individual is unique, of course, but the reality is you can't assume because of someone's age whether they are helpless or whether they are capable of taking on any given responsibility. In our culture, quite the opposite of theirs, we've pushed the age of responsibility out more and more. And we stagger the process with milestones like driving, graduating, voting, to finally become old enough and responsible enough to do the most apparently uh, <laughs> difficult task, rent a car. See, we tend to set ages based on the assumption that the majority of young people will be ready by that point. But Mary's culture was concerned with what's the earliest a young person might be ready to take on those responsibility. As a result, we tend to underestimate children. It's newsworthy when children go above and beyond organizing an, an event, a ministry, a charity, and so on, which does make sense. I mean, as far as school goes, it's basically a full-time job for most kids, and then they take on sports and clubs, which is like having another part-time job, so when they're already putting in more time than the average adult does, it makes sense that it's newsworthy. They also did a, an event or became an Eagle Scout or what have you. Getting back to this tension then with Mary, we find that the point is neither that God chose the most saintly, nor is it that God equipped the most unprepared. It's that God saw Mary for who she really was. God didn't get hung up on our human prejudices about who is capable or not. God didn't operate on the cultural assumptions of the day. God didn't underestimate Mary at all, like some did, like we often do. Just the same, God didn't assume that Mary could be tossed into the deep end of the pool and swim like an Olympian. God called her, tended to, protected her, directed her just enough that the Christmas story could take place as it did. God sees us for who we are, calls us to what we are capable of, and then helps and equips us to make it happen. It's not that we're all weak or all powerful. Now, not all of us are teenagers who can benefit from such an explicit message about not underestimating teenagers, but notice where else Luke takes us. Luke connects the birth stories of Jesus and John the Baptist and does so primarily through the perspective of their mothers. John's mother, Elizabeth, we're told, is an old, barren woman. 
She joins Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca, and others. Elizabeth becomes an unexpected mother at an advanced age. And her offspring plays a pivotal role in the story God is telling through the Jewish people, just like those mothers. The details have changed. It's not the same as Mary, of course, but the moral stays roughly the same. So we can get straight to it. Older folks, especially older women, in that culture and in ours are often underestimated. But there's no magic time or age or life transition at which a person, what, no longer contributes, is no longer productive, can no longer further the kingdom of God. Those people, and we as a society, may assume that. Uh, unfortunately, many do assume it about themselves as they get older, but it simply isn't true. Our society depends on retired folks, and that even includes those in care facilities. And it's sinful that so many of us will dismiss them because they're incapable or unproductive, as if their value of, as human beings, as the image of God, was somehow even derived from their productivity in the first place. Sticking with this sense, then, that the moral stays the same, we again see that God sees Elizabeth for who she is, what she's capable of, then empowers her to make her calling happen. And again, as we'll see in the Christmas story, where does God go? John the Baptist isn't born to some queen in some uh, giant mansion somewhere. God goes to this humble, unexpected, underestimated, faithful servant and makes amazing stuff happen. Recapping then, we see as Advent wraps up and leads us into the Christmas season that as we do year after year, the story of Christmas isn't simple. It's reframed for today because it has layers and layers, oodles of meaning, and though the morals of the story and the good news for the world can be distilled out as pretty simple lessons about God, we start with the story. Oh yeah, the basics. What about Paul in this letter to the Romans? Amidst a complicated and tumultuous period, what does Paul have to say about all this and how we might get back to those simple lessons, those basics? He says, through the prophetic writings, the mysteries of God have been disclosed to the Gentiles. <laughs> that doesn't sound too simple, too basic, but we can get there. And more or less, God has been up to something as long as people have been around, but it hasn't always been clear what God is up to, especially to Gentiles, that is, those who aren't Jewish. Now, we get to know what God is up to. It was a mystery because it wasn't what you would expect. God cares so little for who happens to be in power. I should say cares little about who's in power. And God cares little about how we squabble and judge and divide one another. Instead, God always has this eye on the humble, the meek, the unexpected, the poor, the powerless. The basic is this. The Christmas story discloses the mystery. Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, Zachariah, John, and of course, Jesus. This story captures and demonstrates the nature of God and how God relates to the world. This isn't just a trite, feel-good story. This isn't just like a nice sentiment that we can use as an excuse to exchange gifts. These aren't historical happenstance. They're not just on the list of all the things that took place in the past. This is who God is and who we are and what God is to us. That's the basic. Let's get back to it. If you ever think that you're not good enough, too young, too old, too poor, too powerless, you're exactly the kind of person God can and will use. 
You mean more to God, you mean more to the world today and moving forward than you can possibly imagine. Don't sell yourself short. God doesn't, so don't you do it either. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.